Hello and welcome to Shut Up and Baxter, your first and only all Gavin Baxter basketball podcast. I'm your host, Steve Pierce, joined as always by my co-host, the wise uh, and prescient and always right, Robbie McCombs. Robert, how are you uh, on this uh, lovely Monday evening in which we're recording this that has been so blessed by our great Lord Gavin Baxter? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this will be probably spend 39 of the 40 minutes talking about brother Gavin F. Gavin F. Baxter of the BYU basketball team. But uh, yeah, it, was, it was an interesting week, Steve. I think that was the most unique week at the BYU basketball season. Just, I mean, we expected to get pounded by Gonzaga, but I mean, even when you expect it and you still lose by 30, it's still not fun. But then I think we kind of expected it to be LMU, but the way BYU did it, especially Gavin Baxter and then Nick finally showing some things, it kind of put a, it was a good, put a good feeling at the end of the week going into this week. So yeah, I'm excited to dive into this week and kind of put to bed Gonzaga and then maybe to look ahead to brighter and happier things ahead, hopefully. Yeah, and that is what we shall do. Uh, let's dive in first. Uh, I, I can tell the people that we're on all the podcast networks, like we always do all the platforms. If you want to subscribe, go subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you prefer. But they know that. If, if you're if you're in at this point, you're probably in. Or maybe not. If you're, if, if you're new, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're everywhere. And we, we, want, we want to give you the us talking to your phone as soon as possible. And the best way to do that is to subscribe. There's that. Let's dive into the week. Uh, we're gonna do it slightly differently this week, like you mentioned, Robbie. We're gonna die. We're just gonna do one game at a time. We'll talk about Thursday first. Uh, Gonzaga just just obliterated. Let's get the bad stuff out of the way first. The, uh, Gonzaga yeah. obliterated BYU by thirty yeah. points, ninety-three to sixty-three. Uh, it just, Robbie, it looked like Gonzaga. Like I, I, I think I joked with Darnell Dixon from from the Daily Herald halfway through that it looked like they were the Monstars from from Space Jam. Like they had stolen, they were aliens that had stolen like NBA players' powers. That is just how much better they looked than BYU. Yeah, it was insane. Just the talent gap, and I mean BYU started up three zip, but I mean Gonzaga got up double digits. I think about five minutes into the game and it, yeah, it, you just clearly saw the talent gap. I mean, sure. BYU didn't play their best game. I mean, if BYU would have played well, they probably would have lost by about 16 points rather than 30. But I mean, yeah, it's just Gonzaga. I mean, first of all, Gonzaga was just so good. I mean, we, we knew how we know Yoli is a really good basketball player, especially he's a, he's a elite college basketball, or maybe not elite, but he's a very, very good college basketball player. But I mean, man, Brandon Clark and Rui Hachimura, they were just in a different league compared to Yoli. I mean, they were just so much more athletic than him. Just the way Gonzaga brought double teams on Yoli. I mean, he just looked outclassed out there by Rui Hachimura. He'll probably be a lottery pick who Brandon Clark, who I think should be a first round pick, but his age might ding him a little bit. But yeah, those are two of the probably top five bigs in college basketball, and it showed they were just Gonzaga was so good across the board. One one through seven, all seven of those guys were just good and i mean byu didn't do great things i mean byu didn't help itself um i even saw some gonzaga media talk about how i mean they're they're used to gonzaga just whipping on teams by 30 points i mean that was nothing new for gonzaga media and fans but i saw some of them chiming in after the game they just 
mentioned how poor BYU's defensive effort was. And I agree. I mean, you're not going to stop Gonzaga because they're, they're the best offense in college basketball. But just rotations just look bad. That I mean, an offense, the half-court offense just looked like trash. I mean, BYU didn't know what to do in the half-court offense. I mean, they just kind of throw it to Yoli. And once he got double teamed, then it was just chaos. Um it was bad all around. I mean, Gonzaga did going back to defense. They did whatever they want. They shot about sixty percent from the field. They made half their threes. They got rebounds. They got second chance points. They got fast break points. They got points in the half court. I mean, what is there to say? I mean, and then just some of the coaching decisions too. I mean, that was Luke Worthington's probably his last start of his college career. And I don't dislike Lucas. Some of I feel like most BYU fans do, or at least a lot of BYU. Fans the the vocal ones at least I think Luke does provide some good things for who he is but I mean he's not a guy that should be starting particularly on this team I mean he was just looked totally out of place against that front line I and mean, Gavin Baxter he did go to super several innings I guess I'm kind of jumping all over the place but um Baxter actually he looked good which kind of set him up for the LMU game he played 25 minutes he didn't put up eye popping numbers but I mean he looks looked like he belonged which is more than you could say probably for three quarters of the, the team that was out there. So yeah, yeah overall it was just an atrocity. BYU is just outplayed. I mean, out talented, what you expect, but I mean, just, it was just poor execution a lot on the defensive and offensive ends. It was clearly outcoached. I mean, you're going to be outcoached by Mark Fuse, a top three coach in college basketball, but I mean, that's kind of one you just, I mean, you part of it, you chalk it up to Gonzaga's way better than BYU. They, and they probably just about always will be. Which definitely you should need to acknowledge. But I mean, being at home losing by 30 points, I mean, that even to a team like the caliber of Gonzaga, I mean, that's you shouldn't be losing, BYU shouldn't lose by 30 points in Provo to anybody. So that was disappointing. Um, I mean, that was kind of all over the board there. That's just kind of some initial thoughts. I'm just, the Gonzaga game, brain, game, just a little scatterbrained from that, just because, I mean, what do you take good from it? But I mean, those are some of the overarching things I saw, Steve. Um, anything you kind of want to add in there before we? cleanse our palate of that game oh and never speak of it again I, it's yeah. ex, it was extremely tough it's an ex, it's extremely tough to lose by that home that's the worst home loss in the dave rose era which you know we're going on whatever 14 seasons now or whatever it is that's that's a lot of a lot of games and byu has never played like that and got beaten that badly uh at home and some of that is you know like you're saying gonzaga is just really good right and i think we should all take all of this with that grain of salt in mind like they're really, really good. Like, I don't know if this team is better than the team from two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Nevada was I don't good, know but Gonzaga was just on another level. And yeah, sorry, I'm just keep cutting you off. But yeah, I think this team could, like you said, be better than that team that went to the national title. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, time will tell. Um, that's it. But yeah, that team two years ago went to the national title game. And I'm not convinced that this team isn't better than that team. I think they're mm-hmm. certainly more athletic, right? They're longer. They're more athletic. Um Brandon Clark and Rui Hachimura are are the truth, man. Particularly Brandon Clark. I mean, I, I'd watched him play a few times, but every time I watch that guy play, I'm just I'm more and more impressed with him. He's just he's just incredible. And they made, like you mentioned, they made Yoli look like a second class citizen out there. They 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 were clearly in their own tier. And Yoli, you know, is BYU's best player by a wide margin, um, but he was significantly behind them. And I think. You know, it's a it's an interesting question that we'll continue to um, kind of explore, and we could talk about it more later. But Roll, Yoli's just—he had a bad week, right? And we could talk about it as we get into LMU as well. But 
especially in Gonzaga, it was really clear that he he handled the double team extremely poorly. Um, and he, he had similar struggles against LMU. He's had similar similar struggles in past weeks uh, as we've been in conference. Now he just he waits. Every every team is bringing a double team as soon as he as soon as he catches the ball now, and he waits too long to get rid of it. He waits until the double team is there um, rather than than being proactive as soon as he sees the second defender committing and starting to move toward him. That's when you make the pass and you already surveyed your options and found who's going to be the open man. Um, but he waits until they're there and then he looks and then he has to find somebody and then they're hanging all over him and he's trying to throw a ball, you know, make a skip pass with two guys hanging on him. And it's just, it's, it's not a recipe for success. So he didn't look great. He fouled out. He was, he was just totally outclassed and there was no one else to help him out. I mean, like you mentioned, the half court offense is a trash fire that carried over into LMU. The first half against LMU was horrible offensively. Um, TJ, you know, he had his 16 points, but he, he had to take four. 14 shots to get him. He had two assists and two turnovers, which is, you know, we've become accustomed in previous weeks to seeing TJ with seven assists and zero turnovers. So he, he, he struggled a little bit in terms of his efficiency. Um, you know, if there was going to be a silver lining, getting Jasheer back and, you know, back in the lineup after that hand injury should have been it. But Jasheer, you know, he only played like I think, 12 or 13 minutes. Yeah. Dude got up 10 shots in very limited <laughs> he, he minutes. Shy. Was just ready to... <laughs> Yeah, he was ready to fire, and uh, he only made three of them. He had seven points from three of ten shooting. That wasn't great. He just looked, you know, yeah. he, he hasn't played in a month. He yeah, hasn't played in a month. Like. What can you expect from the kid? Yeah, I mean, he made that first shot, and you're like, oh, Jasheer's back, baby. And then I think I think he got that in his mind, I'm back, baby. And then he was just pulling up. So, I mean, um, he got a little trigger happy. I mean, like you said, you kind of expect it being out for a month, but especially hit with a severely injured hand. So, yeah, he got took a little while to get back in the swing of things but there's very few silver linings i mean you touched on jashir i mean zach had 13 points he was three of five of three i mean a lot of those were in garbage time but i mean zach has had a decent stretch off the bench i mean he's he's an asset on the bench off the bench he's not a liability which is definitely a positive but yeah besides zach probably good things and then seeing gavin baxter kind of set the table i guess if you want to call it that for the lmu game those and then no injuries. <laughs> I didn't get any season-ending injuries. Um, those were really the only silver linings I saw coming out of that Gonzaga game. Yeah, it was rough. And I guess before we move on and, and completely wash our hands, let's just let's pour one out for our buddy Luke Worthington, man. The dude was – this is really hard to do. He was minus 18 in nine minutes of playing time. I went back yeah. and like looked at all the play-by-play and like when did he sub in and what was the score and when did he saw minus 18 in just nine minutes. Whenever he was on the floor, like they just threw the ball to Rui and he got mashed up on Rui or Brandon Clark and they like that, like took him at like they threw him the ball like the free throw line and they just like went around him like he was standing still, mostly because he was. And that like you said, like I'm not. I'm not an anti-Luke person. I think there's situations in which Luke can be a very valuable player. I think he's extremely valuable as a leader on this team. Like all of that is valuable. But if there was ever a game that did not fit Luke Worthington and what he could bring to the table, this was, it was the against game. Gonzaga. Yeah. This was it. And yet he still started. He still played nine minutes. Not to say BYU would have won this game if Luke had never played in it. That's obviously not true. They lost by 30 and he was only a minus 18. But it really got him in a big hole. Those those first half minutes where he played the majority of his minutes, the lion's share, uh, 
were when BYU got down big and, and who knows, you know, with the momentum, if they don't go down in the big hole, if, if they, you know, stay, hang around longer, maybe make it competitive, who knows? But, uh, like you said, after the, uh, after the L at what we saw against LMU on Saturday, I think it's probably the last time Luke Worthington starts in his college career, unless something weird happens. Um, and so, you know, pour one out for our, for our buddy, Luke, he'll still be a big uh, shout out, big shouts know, out okay. to Luke. Yeah, we like Luke. He's a good. He's by all means a great kid, and and was going to have a wonderful uh, a wonderful career doing something other than basketball, and will be very successful. I think he probably will be president someday. I've, that's always what I thought that Luke Worthington someday <laughs> is going to be, uh, you know, the Republican presidential nominee or something like that. Cause considering this is BYU, but uh, <laughs> you know, he's just he's just the the game is the game is moving away from players like Luke Worthington. Um and that's certainly true at the I'm yeah, sorry. One ahead. last note on Luke. I will you be sad that he leaves? He's the last tied to Matt Carlino for any BYU mm. player. I mean the 2013-2014 year that was Luke's freshman year and last year with Matt Carlino. So once he gone Steve that that's the last BYU tie other than the coaching staff to Matt Carlino. So it's sorry to bring up some bad memories here, but um I just yeah. We should, we should do a tribute with Luke on the very last episode because that's the last teammate for Matt Carlino left in college basketball. All right, P man. I mean, the thing that I'll be even more sad about than that is he's also the last tie to that all those promo videos they did where they were lip syncing <laughs> to all the different songs, which was yeah. like among my favorite promotional things that BYU's ever done. Yeah. So <laughs> I might just go queue up one of those videos after we finish recording this podcast just for kicks. Yeah, for good times. That was that was a fun time in BYU basketball. Freshman Luke, freshman Eric, Skyler Heffold, Tyler Haas singing singing away in those. Those 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 were fun times. The future, the whole future ahead of us, all just waiting with bated breath for the 2018-2019 season when we were going to be really loaded and we were going to have all these great guys and we were going to make a run to the final four. Oh man, that all worked out well. Oh, well, let's not let's. Yeah. let's you know. yeah. No, that's enough. That's enough depression for today. Let's talk <laughs> about the good stuff, Robbie. Let's talk about. Saturday, which was a 67-49 win over LMU. And in reality, we're not totally getting rid of the depression because this was really a tale of two halves. The first half looked like a Gonzaga hangover. They were terrible in the first half. Totally. They were down 26-23 to 23 at half. They shot 10 of 28 from the field, 1 of 11 from 3. I mean, they just they could not throw the ball in the ocean. I mean, if you were going to take a positive from it, at least they only gave up 26 points. The defense looked really good. Um, but they just looked, the offense was a, just a mess. Nobody could do anything other than Gavin Baxter started the game with like five points in the first couple minutes. But other than that, it was, it was extremely rough. Um, and then they really turned it around the second half. I think that Coach Rose and, and the coaches got on him at halftime. Um, Kay Cannon said after the game, really, really got into him. And they came out with some renewed energy and enthusiasm in the second half. Won that second half, 46 to 23. Shot four, 15 to 32 from the field, so almost 50%. Four of 10 from three. Um, and I think um, maybe was the best the best half that, B, that BYU has looked um, maybe all year. And mm-hmm. it was really keyed. Off of our guy, off of our guy, Gavin Baxter. Finally, the big breakout performance that we had been, not I don't know if predicting, because I don't think we could have even in our wildest dreams could have predicted that. Definitely to happen, hoping for. But had been looking for, right? Yes. Hoping for. Steven, doesn't it just make you happy? Doesn't it just warm your heart that we would never have wanted Gavin to start those first 23 games? Like, heaven forbid that we would have had a great a start by Gavin Baxter and had a similar performance. So, Obviously, we never would have wanted that. 
uh, clearly was not worthy to start those first those 23 prior games. You know, you know, Robbie, I think that obviously the coaches just knew that he was he wasn't going to have the ability to positively impact the game until precisely last Saturday. That was yes. like they knew mm-hmm. they, they, they saw in the future and they're like Gavin Baxter is going to be trash and not playable until for February the entire 2nd. season until February 2nd. That is the day and all of his powers will activate. <laughs> the moon will shift. Yes. Uh, we'll have a full moon and Gavin Baxter will unleash himself and that's when we're going to play him. And until then, we, we cannot benefit from having him on the floor at all. We can't trust him. We're just going to we're just gonna sit him on the end of the bench and make him want to leave. Yeah, they, they <laughs> had the magic crystal ball, but the magic crystal ball worked because, I mean... I mean, I, how long are we going to talk about Gavin Baxter for? Because, I mean, that... Uh, 47 minutes. All right, here we go, Steve. Um, but honestly, that... With that, it was... That was an all-conference performance by Gavin Baxter, what he did. I mean, he did more than I think even we expected what he would do. So first, the stat line, he had 25 points. And then pretty much these past two weeks, he's, just, he's been so efficient. I mean, he was 10 of 14 from the field. And we kind of saw in high school that he could hit the three... But Steve, I think in our wildest dreams, we didn't expect Gavin Baxter to go to hit two threes in that in that game because that's just like no. takes it to a completely another stratosphere of what Gavin Baxter could do. I mean, he hit two threes and he had ten boards. He had a double double, and then he did what he did on defense. He had two blocks and a steal. And then one underrated aspect, I think, he played thirty two minutes. As he didn't look super winded, like he looked pretty, like he was running up and down the floor the whole game. Um, he only had, he wasn't, he had three fouls, but he was never really ever in foul trouble. Like he really only came out because I mean, he really, you had to sit out a few minutes. You don't expect him to quite play 40 minutes at this juncture of his career. But I mean, so that was, that was really good to see, to see him stay out of foul trouble, which is something you maybe expect for him to be a little too aggressive on defense. But I mean, he was guarding those, that seven foot three guy of, um, of LMU most of the game. Marcuson, yeah, Marcuson. Yeah. He was he was guarding him. I mean he was he did a good job on him. Obviously Marcuson's not like not very athletic, but seven three, a big dude. I mean, Gavin did a good job staying out of foul trouble. But I mean just all the different things he provides for this team is just something that BYU hasn't had. Really BYU honestly really never ever gets BYU doesn't recruit players like Gavin Baxter. Guys that are six nine with the seven three wingspan and that could jump thirty five plus inches. I mean those the experience the exact opposite type of player so i mean just everything he did i mean i loved the BYU BYU's game plan i mean i think they got a little too excited to be getting see what BYU's from the ball 17 feet in the air i'm like all right gavin you got how you got really long arms go grab it and i think that sometimes all right they have to maybe get used to throwing the ball to gavin baxter in a good spot but, i mean still they were getting it. i mean mckay cannon had some really nice lobs to gavin um I think TJ, I'm still waiting for TJ and Gavin to get some of that chemistry. I mean, TJ and Yoli have really good chemistry. But I think maybe this is more we'll see next year, TJ and Gavin really get that chemistry because TJ is just an elite setup guy. But I mean, I think some of the things, so we, we saw the game, the, the great things Gavin Baxter did. But what I'm curious to see going forward, um, I'll, I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. So Yoli, Steve, he's been, he's, he had a rough week. So, I mean, he, you could just chalk it up to a rough week, but it has been a little bit of a pattern. Because the last four games, Yoli's been shooting under 43% from the field. In the last six games, he's only had one game with double-digit rebounds. So I think teams are finding this to realize, starting to realize, hey, 
double team him every time he touches the ball. I think part of it, I mean, Yoli needs to get better, but I think part of it isn't necessarily Yoli's fault because he doesn't have a lot of guys that could capitalize and hit outside shots to really um, to really take the pressure away from that double team. But with Gavin Baxter, I mean, with Gavin Baxter, I mean, it's totally gonna it could totally change the way defenses play. I mean, defenses can't necessarily send their other big guy just to really send two big guys to double team Yoli because I mean, you got to account for Gavin Baxter, especially if he's setting three point shots. I mean, if he's setting three point shots, I mean, that's totally changes the way defenses play. But I mean, yeah, the way he an offense, the way they could just throw the ball to him at the rim, I and mean, he's doing better in the pick and roll. His rim protection he provides, I mean, he's just such a long rim protector. It takes pressure off Yoli, too, because Yoli doesn't have to think about, okay, I have to protect the rim, and I have to rebound. Because with the Gavin Baxter, Gavin Baxter could do both of those things. So, I mean, defensively, you have another rebounder in there. You have another shot blocker, which just takes that much pressure off Yoli on the defensive end as well. So, I mean, there's just so many different facets you could go off of how much Gavin Baxter changes the team. But I mean, it just, I mean, the stat line speaks for itself and the efficiency speaks for itself. I mean, we're February 4th, February 5th, when this podcast um, comes out, it's about a month left of the season. Obviously, I mean, let's be wins the WCC tournaments too little, too late to make a run in March madness. But I mean, it will be interesting this last month of the season. If I mean, he's shown up for two weeks, if he could keep it up, it's just, it's a totally different BYU team and a team. If Gavin plays like this and in Vegas, I think BYU could give Gonzaga at least a game uh, with this type of performance from Baxter and the way BYU has been utilizing him. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, it's it's certainly a, 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 a been a revelation. I mean, the LMU game was something else, and I don't think he's going to go out and drop twenty five and ten every single night. No. Uh, there may be a little bit of an aberration there, but. I think, you know, if he can be productive, if he can get you 10, 12, 13 points uh, and get you 10 rebounds and a couple block shots and really change how your defense looks by bringing some rim protection, giving you a different look on offense. We mentioned how the half-court offense has been a trash fire. The It really started to look a little bit better in that second half when they started to use Gavin as, as a lob man. Um, and essentially they're using him I'm not a Utah Jazz fan, uh, but I saw the the comparison on Twitter. They're using him a lot like the Jazz use Rudy Gobert, which is actually a very good comparison, Mm -hmm. um, apart from it being the Jazz, who I prefer not to compare anybody that I like (laughs) to. Um, But uh, it's a good comparison. They're just essentially putting him next to the rim, and then when TJ or McKay drives if they're if the if the help man who's gavin's guy helps off at all they're just tossing it high up towards the rim and gavin just kind of jumps up right next to the rim and and dunks it in and that works um i think that it'll be interesting to see if they start using him uh designing more actions for him to get him lobs on the move um kind of out of pick and roll and things like that also the weak side lob um cutting in as opposed to just standing next to the basket i would to the point of taking pressure off yoli i think the points you made are absolutely right i think there is an opportunity to take even more pressure off yoli if he can figure out how to navigate the double team because when he posts Mm -hmm. and gavin is kind of sitting in that short on that uh that weak side short corner uh, the guy who most often comes to double, they're bringing Gavin's guy across the paint yep. to kind of double Yoli. And there's a split second from when that guy commits to go double Yoli, because he's covering quite a bit of ground most of the time, from when he commits and starts making his move to double Yoli, and when he actually arrives and gets in Yoli's face, there's a split second where Yoli, if he's alert and he's watching, 
where Gavin is flashing from that weak side right to underneath the basket where he can have a very quick dump off and Gavin is open before the weak side helper from the wing comes over and, and, and guards Gavin on that flash. And so I think there's a lot of potential there for Yoli. If he can spot it and make the pass quickly enough before the double team is on him, uh, that Gavin can, can just rack up points down there. And then the, obviously def- defenses are going to have to decide what they want to do. Are they going to send that hard double from, from the, from the baseline on Yoli, or are they going to have to send the double somewhere else or maybe not double them at all? Uh, there's a lot of different ways that this can work to relieve some pressure off Yoli and off TJ. The, the goal, the whole, the holy grail of this season has been finding a third person who can score consistently. Um, and we've tried different guys. It was just sheer for a little bit, but never consistently. And Nick never really panned out. Maybe it's Gavin Baxter. And who knows? We'll see how he looks this week. They'll have two more opponents this week who aren't great, right, in Portland and Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, should be able to, to impose his will. He's not going to be able to impose his will as much as a freshman against guys like Rui Hachimura and, and Brandon Clark. But there's reason to be... There's reason to be um, be hopeful. They just look like a totally different team on both ends. Uh, his athleticism and length totally changes what they can do. Um, and so it's it's reason, if nothing else, in the middle of a somewhat dark season for BYU fans, it's reason to feel good and reason to feel hopeful about the future. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the biggest thing because, I mean, we, season it is what it is. BYU's 14 and 10. Um, it be one of the worst, if not the worst season, the last 15 uh, – Dave Rose area of BYU basketball. But like you said, Gavin Baxter, it's just good to have that glimmering of hope at least. It's just like, okay, this this is what you could kind of look forward to. Just this, I mean, him and Yoli are different players. I mean, I think Gavin, his age is going to hurt it NBA-wise, but I mean, measurable-wise, he's definitely, I mean, he I think he has more NBA potential than Yoli. Um, I think the the age thing will def, could hold him back, so it'll be interesting to see what he does going forward. But I mean... Yeah, it was just really good to see Gavin Baxter play the way he did, kind of everything materialize. Like you said, he's got two games this week against subpar competition where BYU you can kind of really maybe kind of work him in a little more, see how they want to use him going forward. So, I mean, we talked about Gavin a lot, Steve, but I mean, one other bright spot. I mean, for me, the biggest overall takeaway from the LMU game is that BYU found a way to win and found a way to win comfortably with TJ Haas and... Yoli Childs, each scoring less than 10 points. Because, I mean, pretty much yeah. there hasn't been a game this season that BYU's won where BYU hasn't got contributions from even one of them. And both of them struggled. They scored less than 10 points, but Gavin Baxter did his thing. And then it was really, it was just really cool to see Nick Emery I kind of have a little bit of a vintage throwback performance. I mean, not vintage San Francisco style freshman year when he scored 39 points. But, I mean, it was, it was almost like his brother Jackson Emery game. I mean, his, his offense was sparked by his defense. This defense, uh, and you see the five for five from three, but it's really his defense, which is nice because he's been giving good de- defensive effort the whole year. It was finally nice to see that pay off on the stat sheet. I mean, he was really hustling on the defensive end and that he got four steals. And I think pretty much all those steals, Steve, were live ball steals that led to fast breaks. And, and Nick was the beneficiary mm-hmm. of a lot of those fast breaks. I and mean, he had 17 points and five for five shooting. And then uh, the biggest thing, which I mean, It'll be interesting going forward. This is more of an aberration, or if this you could this will kind of um, kind of be a 
springboard for Nick for better things the rest of the season. But it was he just was so confident. I mean, he wasn't shooting bad shots, but he, when he shot it, he was just in the rhythm. I mean, Nick's best just on the run, fast break, pulling up transition three. I mean, he was he had I think three of those during the game. So I mean, it'd just be interesting to see if this confidence will carry forward. I mean, I think as a shooter, I mean. Most over half the battle is just having confidence in your shot. I think Nick finally, fingers crossed, he finally found that confidence in the shot. I mean, defense always travels, and Nick always, his defense is always there. But if he can finally get that three point shooting, then that's I mean, BYU desperately needs another shooter. So I mean, if you're getting guys, like, if you're getting Gavin, if you're getting Nick, if even close to these type of performances, I mean, having yeah, that's just, that really changes the landscape for BYU, and then. I guess just kind of turning turning things to the defensive end, Steve. Um, one thing that wasn't talked about at all, really. I mean, the LMU is a slow team; they're one of the top ten slowest paces in college basketball. So, but but still, BYU held both halves. They held them. They held LMU to under fifty points for the game, which I think was BYU's best defensive performance of the season. It's something I didn't see talked about at all. So coming to the game. Um, LMU, they're a solid team. They beat Georgetown, a Big East team. They beat them by 13. They beat UNLV by 11. They beat Boise State. So they were 16-6 coming to the game. They were solid. And James Bateman, the starting point guard, really good guard, probably will be all-conference player. He was averaging 17 coming in. I mean, BYU held them scoreless in the game, Steve. I mean, McKay and Nick did an awesome job at him. He had zero points on O of 8 shooting. And BYU just totally bottled, bottled him up. Like, his name wasn't uttered the whole game. So, I mean, we saw those great things from offense, but the defensive, I mean, LMU is not a great offensive team by any measure necessarily, but holding their best player to zero points and holding the team under 50 points, um, it was good to see that, just the pride on the defense after just the really poor defensive performance the night prior. So, I mean, all those things, obviously, Gavin was the highlight, Nick was kind of the sub-highlight, but the defensive effort was encouraging as well. At BYU could kind of follow up a really bad performance with some pride on the defensive end. Yeah, and like you said, it was it was the only thing that was consistent, right? The offense mm-hmm. was horrible in the first half. It was great in the second half. Uh, but the defense was solid both halves. And that's what BYU, you know, the offense, you go up and down. Do we need a third? Do we need a third score? Who's going to be the third score? We can talk about all those things, and those are the things that are fun to debate and talk about. But the reality is, if BYU plays defense like they played against LMU consistently, against bo- against all types of opponents, both halves of the game, BYU wins a lot more games than they've been winning. That defense, like you said, defense travels. It's easy to play defense on the road. It's easy to play defense at home if you're doing the little things and making the commitment and having the effort. Uh, BYU has not had that consistently enough. LMU was a great example. It will be interesting to see. We've also had, there have been other good defensive performances this year. They just haven't been carried over game to game. We'll see this week, BYU has two lesser opponents this week. That's two opportunities for BYU to carry this forward and to play better defense more consistently and make it an every game thing rather than just a, you know, once a month thing. Um, and I think, you know, Nick Emery is a huge part of that. You mentioned his defense. BYU, BYU needs Nick Emery. They need confident Nick Emery on both ends of the floor. He's th- this just adds something different. His, he's obviously his fire and his passion on defense and his, his skill on defense is really important. I think really keyed the performance on the defensive end here um, and against LMU. But they also, they, like you said, they need him to shoot the ball. And you know, I, I know he's not been confident. But I just I go I go like 
I forget, even forget that Nick could shoot the ball. I, I think I tweeted yeah. out at some point, like I, I'd like to see Nick Emery shoot the ball again at some point in the in the future, because he just, it just, he just was a non. It wasn't even that he was bad offensive; he was just a non-factor. He wasn't looking for a shot. And the reality is, every team needs like that kind of one of those kind of crazy gunner without a conscience types that you know mm-hmm. will take, uh, you know, that have a lot of confidence in themselves and. And the irrational confidence guy, I think Bill Simmons calls it, who just feels like he can always make the shot. That was Matt Carlino for a long time. And uh, that earned him some detractors and that earned him a lot of fans like myself, uh, because I think that's a really important role on a team. you got to have the guy who's not afraid to take the shot um, and then who can make the shot. And I believe that Nick can make the shots. He showed us in the past that he can. Um, he's just got to have the confidence to take them and to take them with a clear mind, knowing that he that that's a thing that he it's okay to do. And I, it was great to see that against LMU. Hopefully that unlocks something in him and he takes more uh, moving forward because this team, they, they really need him. They have a shortage of options offensively and they really need somebody like Nick, even if he has a bad shooting night every now and then. They just need him to shoot because it's better than the other alternatives they have most of the time. Yeah, it's true. So I'm, I kind of... I think that kind of defines Nick to me. I remember his freshman year, the one of the well, the, not the last time BUB Gonzaga at the kind of the time before. I think Gonzaga was ranked number three. Um, I mean, remember Nick? He had zero points the whole game. He was like oh nine from the field, but he he hit a three at the end of the game that iced it, and that was just Nick. I mean, he was shooting poorly the whole game, was playing good defense, but just like you said, he has that gunner's mentality. And even though he's having a horrible game, he hit a three that iced it and helped BYU win at the kennel. I mean, and, and yeah. I don't know if he's going to get that confidence back. Um, I don't think we could just necessarily after one game, just be like, oh, Gavin Baxter is going to be the savior and Nick Emery's going to go back to his freshman self when he was putting up 17 a game. I don't think neither one of us are necessarily forecasting it, especially since the up and down nature. We've seen the whole team. But I mean, it's it's there. We've seen it now. Nick could, Nick could do this. I and mean, he had the St. Mary's game a few weeks back where he did decent. So, I mean, it's, it's at least been shown. And I guess, Steve, before we move off the LMU game, we kind of touched on Yoli a little bit. I touched on him a little bit before. But, I mean, he, he has been a little bit down the past couple of weeks. And we touched on the past couple of podcasts. I think a lot of it is naturally once you get into conference play, teams are really good at scouting you. And you could tell teams are really good at scouting Yoli. But, I mean, he has – how do you – what do you think, Steve? Do you think it's do you kind of chalk it up just kind of a bad week or two? Do you think he kind of, or do you think teams have kind of just figured Yoli out and BYU has really no answer for them? I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. I think BYU, especially with Gavin Baxter now fully infused into the team, I think I don't think you're going to go back to Yoli going against Utah when they were just single covering him the whole game and he shoots 80% for the field and puts up 35 points. But I think he kind of got to go to i think he'll kind of put up his 20 plus points again he shoots about 45 to 50 percent from the floor because i think he's too good of a player but i mean that is something to watch going forward to see if you could finally and you only could adjust to teams just really playing tight on him yeah, I mean, this is all about Yoli being aggressive, mm-hmm. right? We know how they're going to play him. Every team is going to play him the same way because, to be honest, for two weeks it's worked. And yeah. nobody really figured out before in non-conference for sure. And then early in conference, he was rolling pretty good. No one figured out how to guard him. Everyone knows how to guard him now. Mm-hmm. They know that you send the hard double as soon as he as soon as soon he catches the ball. You make it... He doesn't make decisions quickly. You make him force the ball out of his hands. And may, at worst case, he he settles for a really tough fall away jumper. That's like the worst case scenario for the defense. Um, so they know how to do that now. The question is, will Yoli change the way he plays? Will he 
we know what no one's I don't think anyone's going to do anything different until they see that this doesn't work. So now that you know what they're going to do, are you going to figure out how how to change your game to 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 address that, to to figure out to solve the riddle, right? And I don't think it's a hard riddle to solve. I think it comes with Yoli being aggressive but being smart. When you catch the ball, be ready to either make a move right away before that double that double team comes or having already known where your players are on the floor, make a quick pass before the double team comes to an open player as the as the defense is trying to rotate to come cover you. You need to he needs to be aggressive in looking for his own offense, um, not just settling for shots when he's double covered because um, he doesn't have anything really else to, any other options and also looking for his for his guys, for other guys offense and looking to create and as he is more of a threat in those ways, they're gonna people have to think about different ways to cover him, and they're gonna throw come up with another riddle to throw at him, and then he'll solve that one. And there's not that to be honest. There's not that many different riddles that you can throw at a player of Yoli Child's caliber. Um, this is kind of the one that has stuck, and he just needs to figure out how to how to crack the code. I'm fully confident that he can do that, but you know it's been two weeks, and uh, you know until he until he we see evidence that he has figured it out. Um, you know, it, it, it remains, it remains unsolved. And so I think he will. Um, but I think it's, I think it's, it's something that it's going to take a little bit of, uh, intentionality from Yoli. And, and I hope we see it this week. Yeah, I guess before we move off that point, I mean, Yoli's definitely a gym rat, but um, he needs to be more of a film room rat, I guess, because I think if he really just watches the film for these past couple of weeks to see the different, where teams are bringing the double teams from, I think that will go a long ways in helping him kind of it realized before it before it actually happens about okay, k when they bring it from here this is where the open guy will be so i think if he watches more film i think he's smart enough i mean i know he's smart enough and he's good enough to kind of compensate for that but i mean it's definitely something to watch moving forward until he actually fixes it and him and byu decide how they're going to counteract that double team but um steve i think that kind of puts a bow on the past week that was the highs and the lows of the week so i guess as we always do with this middle section we just where does this leave us steve um in the wcc and BYU is at a really interesting spot right now i mean after that they're in sole possession of the second place uh, they're half a game ahead of san francisco and st mary's because BYU's put an extra game um extra game over them but i mean despite the all the down things that happen for BYU, BYU is still in sole possession of second place. And this is kind of a good week for BYU to kind of, kind of make that cushion a little bit bigger. I mean, BYU plays the bottom two teams in the WCC and then St. Mary's and San Francisco each play Gonzaga. So at this point, you kind of expect any team that plays Gonzaga is going to lose. So if any team actually does beat Gonzaga, that's like almost two wins because you beat Gonzaga and you know, everyone else is going to lose to them. So I mean, BYU takes care of business and those teams win. BYU could, finally put a little bit of a cushion between those teams but i mean after this we have seven games left after this two game stretch this week the last five games are tough steve um ken palm projects BYU to lose four of the last five games and every one of those five games are losable i mean you got two against san diego is good then you got san francisco and um gonzaga so i mean BYU has to take care of business this week and then yeah, you get that final five game stretch which will show if gavin baxter and nick embry what we see and if that could stick going forward but that's kind of where we're at right now. It'll be interesting this week how BYU uses Gavin, how Jashir is kind of integrated into the lineup. I mean, how does BYU lose him, especially with Nick playing the way he is? So um, those are some of the things I'm looking for, looking forward to. Um, is there anything kind of in this transition period, Steve, how you're looking forward to this week to see if BYU could build on before we kind of get into this final home stretch of the season? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I think those are the right things to look for this week. This is this is your get your head right week, right? Get your head right, get your house in order, because next week, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, next week is the Southern California Road Swing. It's mm-hmm. at it's at LMU, which BYU has always struggled at LMU. They've lost plenty of games at LMU, yep. um, and they obviously played a crap half against LMU this week at home. Um, and then it's at San Diego, where they have lost more often than they've won recently. Yeah. They really struggle. At and San Diego is really good. San Diego's good. Um, they beat San Francisco on, at, at, in San Diego yeah. uh, just last week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that is, that is the, if you're, if everybody is playing for second in the WCC, right. Playing for that buy and directly into the semifinals, um, that second buy, obviously Gonzaga will get the first one. Um, that is the make or break week. The make or break week, and the the game, the home game against San Francisco is is going to be big too. But the make or break week for BYU, they cannot afford to lose two games in Southern California. They cannot afford mm-hmm. to lose at LMU and at San Diego, and that's that's coming up. And so you need to, as you, that's a tough, that's a tough, tall order. As you as you're getting into that week next week, you need to have a really good week of practice. You need to have two really good games over teams that you should definitely overmatch this week. And you need to be going into that Southern California road trip with all the momentum and just feel good vibes that you can get. Cause that is going to, those are going to be two wars out there, man. And so that, that's what I'm looking for this week. Can, yes, all the questions, you know, is what does this team look like with Gavin Baxter? Is this the second half of LMU something that they can replicate, at least in part? Is Nick Emery finally finding his confidence and his rhythm? What are we going to do with Jashir Hardnett, if anything, at this point? Um, how do we get him back in the mix in a way that's going to be productive after a pretty non-productive week, first week back? Those are all questions that need to not necessarily be answered this week, but where we want to move the ball forward um, so that we're ready for for that road swing uh, coming next week. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, Billy first has to take care of business this week before they kind of move into that final stretch. The first game they got is Thursday. They play at Portland. I mean, and Portland sucks, Steve. Portland's a bad team. They're Very bad. Yeah, they're winless in the WCC. I mean, nothing really much to speak of. BYU beat by 23 last time at home. Um, unfortunately, this is I always try to get to this game. This is the Pac Northwest game that's affordable. Um, so I mean, there to be tons of BYU fans in attendance. But usually, I like to make this three-hour drive from Seattle. But with the 8 p.m. tip, it's going to be a little. It'd be a little tough, tough to do the up and back. Yeah. So I mean, there always be there's be lots of BYU fans there. Um, lots of Nike people there. But I mean, yeah, you expect to take care of business at Portland. I mean, BYU's had their problems. You always think of Bobby, good old Bobby Sharp in that triple overtime game. Oh, gosh. Or, yeah, that's, I think Tyler Haas, Haas scored f- almost 50 that game. But I mean, Bobby Sharp was had hit this game of the life. But I mean, this that Port- dude is an accountant somewhere. <laughs> and he just in his cubicle, he just has a television that runs that yeah. one game on. Oh, like for loop. sure. No doubt. And everyone just like comes by and watches Bobby Sharp hit like 12 threes <sighs> on BYU and triple overtime yeah. or whatever. I need to find his Twitter because every year on Twitter, he always like, oh, yeah, he always just talks crap about how that the, the one game of his life where he played well. So I mean, but I'll, <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll tag you. So I'll find some of those tweets this week. But yeah, I mean, you expect BYU to take care of business Portland. And then second game Pacific, I mean, BYU already beat Pacific. They're, they're just kind of a tricky matchup. I mean, they're small. They don't really play anyone above 6-7. But they just, they'll play a 60 foul game. They just drive to the basket. Just ridiculous. They're ridiculously aggressive. They want to just, they're top three, I believe, in college basketball and free throw attempts. So I mean, they're small, but they'll, pound the offensive glass they'll get to the free throw line 
And we saw BYU squeak by them last time in a foul fest, one by three points. But I mean, with it being at home, um, I would expect BYU to win that one as well, even if it is a frustrating matchup and we get to talk about how bad West Coast Conference refs are. But um, overall, Steve, I mean, I'm not going to dive too much into the opponents because we've seen them both and not, not much to speak of. But I expect BYU to get two wins this week. I hope to see build on those good things we saw from Gavin Baxter and Nick Emery, just kind of, especially with these types of teams, you kind of hope to solidify those guys. You, so with the last, we're in the last month of the basketball season. See, this is the type of week. I think you really want to solidify your rotations. You're okay. Okay. Gavin Baxter is going to be a 30 plus minute guy every night. Then you kind of want to decide this week. Hey, um, how is Jashir and Nick going to fit in? Who's going to get the bulk of the minutes? I think we anticipate Nick in the bulk of the minutes, but this is a good week to kind of really solidify that rotation before you get into the final home stretch, the meet, the last of the college, the conference schedule. So overall two wins. I think BYU wins both by double digits. Pacific will be, will be, uh, be uh, infuriating at times because all the fouls, but I think BYU wins them both. Yeah, I, I see it the same way. I think that uh, they'll man, they'll handle Portland no problem. Uh, I'm interested to see. They should obviously beat Pacific at home. thing that I think will be interesting to watch in that game is you mentioned Pacific just going to the rim relentlessly. Uh, this will be the first time that Gavin Baxter actually plays real minutes against Pacific, uh, and I think could really be a game changer there for BYU to actually have someone who could protect the rim potentially without fouling. I think it's going to be a challenge for him, right? As a young player, he mm-hmm. has shown the capacity to get into foul trouble Um a little bit in the past. Normally he gets in foul trouble, not on, not when contesting shots. I think he's pretty good at keeping his hands, his very long arms straight up uh, when contesting shots. Uh, but it's often uh, on the bounce um, that he's, that he really struggles there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see BYU get into a zone um, and just kind of create a perimeter shell uh, and have the guards kind of bump bump the guys on the drive with hopefully without fouling and then put mm-hmm. Gavin back on that back line and just have him contest shots and try and swat shots. You could I could easily see a Gavin Baxter game where he has you know three four five block shots uh, in this game uh, and it'll be real interesting to see how this look if this looks different uh, than the last mm-hmm. time they played. Yeah, it's the type of game he could get five blocks or he could get two fouls in the first three right. minutes. So it'll just be yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how that goes. But I'm guessing it sounds like you you're picking two wins this week. Yeah, I think it'll be two two pretty pretty comfortable wins. I think this will be a good week for BYU, a good week to iron some things out. I'm interested to see what the offense looks like if they can think if they come up with new ways and new actions to get Gavin now that he's going to be you know firmly ensconced in the rotation new ways to take advantage of of, of the gifts and, and the skill set that he brings um, and how to how to really utilize that and, and and give them new looks I think that'll be really uh, really interesting to watch and I think it's 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 exciting if nothing else we know that this has been kind of a tough season for BYU fans it's at least exciting to be able to tune in and and, and find those small things to get excited about. Um, when you tune ev- tune in every week, even if you're not, you know, playing the Gonzagas or the St. Marys of the world, um, still tune have something to tune into to look forward to. Um, so I think that's that's kind of it for this week, Robbie. Do you have any any parting thoughts for our listeners? It, let's. I just want to see Gavin Baxter yam on some dudes. I want to see him make some more threes. I want to see him block some shots. I mean, that's what I'm here for, Steve. I'm here for the Gavin Baxter show. Yeah, it's, you know, 
our Baxter, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, and because he jumps all the way to heaven, the dude jumps insanely high. Uh, yes. It's uh, it's it really has given me uh, given me some like renewed life and like vigor and like excitement about the program. And that's maybe it will all go yeah. away this week, but I'm I, I'm I'm hopeful a little bit for the first time, Robbie. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a foolish hope or not, but but I'm hopeful. Yeah, when you're watching a full season of a team that's barely above 500, you gotta you gotta find the the joy where you can, Steve. And the joy is found get in Gavin Baxter. Gavin, we trust. Gavin, we trust, and that's why we're here, folks, to find the joy, even in even in the darkest of times. We're here to find the joy, keep you coming back, keep you rooting for our Cougars. We'll do that again this week. Hopefully it's another good week. Hopefully it's a strong building week to get to that road trip next week. We'll be there. Follow us, as always, on Twitter if you want to follow our commentary during the games. Robbie's at at RT McCombs on Twitter. I am at Post Jimmer. Special thanks and big shouts to our intern, Phil Hyatt, always helping us uh, get ready for these podcasts, cut them together, get them to you guys as soon as possible. We, our lives would be much more complicated without him. So big thanks to Phil and big thanks to all of you for listening, for sticking with the Cougars, for reveling in the Gavin Baxter revolution with us. And we are excited. We'll be excited to, to watch this week and be back with you next week here on Shut Up and Jimmer or Shut Up and Baxter if we do officially rename the podcast by then. <laughs> uh, but until, we'll, we'll have a decision on that later. But until then, as always, go Cougars. Go Cougars.